at the founding of our country, we had a meeting place, an old elm tree in Boston. This tree was how ideas was formed, expressed, and exchanged. Today, ideas like those expressed then is considered dangerous and traitorous, when in turn it should be embraced as our founding ideas. From this tree birthed a new nation conceived in liberty and dedicated to the proposition that all men are created equal, as President Lincoln said. That same spirit is what inspired me, this show, and the Liberty Tree Society. Each week here on the Liberty Tree Society program, I would like to start with stories. Stories of, you know, past, of our past with, with either presidents or uh, just other people in, in our history. And they could be biblical history, they could be American history, maybe some European history. Just stories that help formalize our ideas as a nation and how we got to this point. Now, this is very important because if we don't know where we're from, we can't go anywhere. And if we don't know our history, we're doomed to repeat it, and we're seeing that in certain things. And so when we go about these stories, I've got a collection of small history books that I I love, and I read through them, and I, I hear these stories, and I'm like, wow, these are amazing. And then I hear other sides of the stories maybe from a Christian perspective or more from a historical perspective or more from a political perspective. And it's like, wow, that's a different facet of that person or or that story that I didn't know before. And so the same is true of a lot of our, our leaders in, in our history, our founding um, members of, of this nation, our, our founding fathers. One of the, the greats in our founding fathers is a man named George Washington. You know him as the first president of the United States. You know him as General Washington from the Revolutionary War where he was the commander-in-chief of the entire um, army for, for the Americans here. Uh, but before all that, you know, he was just an officer in the British Army. And before that, he was a young man who set about living an honorable life, not necessarily for others to look at and go, oh, this is a good person, but just he felt that was the best way to live. That was his best way to honor God. That was the best way for him to uh, just live in life, not cheat anybody, not, not steal anything, you know, not saying he was perfect, but that he could, at the end of the day, know that he did the best he could. So we have a story from the French and Indian War uh, from the 1750s, and we'll start there. The American Indian chief looked scornfully at the soldiers on the field before him. How foolish it was to fight as they did, forming their perfect battle lines out in the open, standing shoulder to shoulder in their bright red uniforms. The British soldiers were trained for European warfare, did not break rank even when the braves fired at them from under the safe cover of the forest. The slaughter there continued for two hours. 
By then, 1,000 of the 1,459 British soldiers were killed or wounded, while only 30 of the French and Indian warriors firing at them were injured. Not only were the soldiers foolish, but their officers were just as bad, riding on horseback, fully exposed above the men on the ground, made them perfect targets. One by one, the chief's marksmen shot the mounted British officers until only one remained. Quick, let your aim be certain, and he dies, the chief commanded. The warriors, a mix of Ottawa, Huron, and Chippewa tribes, leveled their rifles at the last officer on horseback. Round after round was fired upon this man. Twice the officer's horse was shot out from under him. Twice he grabbed a horse left idle when a fellow officer had been shot down. Ten, twelve, thirteen rounds were fired by the sharpsmen. Still, the officer remained unhurt. The native warriors stared at him in disbelief. Their rifles seldom missed their mark. The chief suddenly realized that a mighty power must be shielding this man. Stop firing, he commanded. This is one under the protection of the great spirit. A brave standing nearby added, I had 17 clear shots at him, and after all could not bring him down to the ground, this man was not born to be killed by a bullet. After the firing slowed, the lieutenant colonel gathered the remaining troops and led the retreat to safety. That evening, as the last of the wounded was being cared for, the officer noticed an odd tear in his coat. It was a bullet hole. He rolled up his sleeve and looked at his arm directly under the hole. There was no mark on his skin. Amazed, he took off his coat and found three more holes where bullets had passed through his coat, but stopped before they reached his body. Nine days after the battle, after heard a rumor of his own death, the young lieutenant colonel wrote his brother to confirm that he was still very much alive. As I have heard since my arrival at this place, a circumstantial account of my death and dying speech, I take this early opportunity of contradicting the first and of assuming that I will have not as yet composed the latter, but my but by all the powerful dispensations of providence, I have been protected beyond all human probability and expectation. For I have four bullet holes through my coat, two horses shot out under me and yet escaped unhurt, although death was leveling my companions on every side of me. The battle, part of the French and Indian War, was fought on July 9, 1755, near Fort Duquesne, now the city of Pittsburgh. The 23-year-old officer went on to become the commander-in-chief of the Continental Army and the first president of the United States. In all the years that followed in his long career, this man, George Washington, was never once wounded in battle. Fifteen years later, in 1770, George Washington returned to the same Pennsylvania woods. A respected Indian chief, having heard that Washington was in the area, traveled a long way to meet with him. He sat down with Washington, and face to face over a council fire, the chief told Washington the following. I am a chief and ruler over my tribes. My influence extends to the waters of the Great Lakes, to the far blue mountains. I have traveled a long and weary path that I might see this young warrior of the great battle. 
It was on the same day when the white man's blood mixed with the streams of our forest that I first beheld this chief, Washington. I called to my young men and I said, Mark yon tall and daring warrior. He is not of the red coat tribe. He hath an Indian's wisdom and his warriors fight as we do. Himself alone exposed. Quick, let your aim be certain and he dies. Our rifles were leveled, rifles which, but for you, knew not how to miss. Twas all in vain, a power mightier far than we shielded you. Seeing you were under the special guardianship of the Great Spirit, we immediately ceased to fire on you. I am old and shall soon be gathered to the great council fire of my fathers in the land of the shades, but ere I go, there is something bids me speak in the voice of prophecy. Listen, the great spirit protects the man, pointing at Washington, and guides his destinies. He will become the chief of nations, and a people yet unborn will hail him as a founder of a mighty empire. I am come to pay homage to the man who is the particular favorite of heaven and who can never die in battle. This story is of God's divine protection and of Washington's open gratitude could be found in many school textbooks until the 1930s. Now, few Americans have read it. Washington often recalled this dramatic event that helped shape his character and confirmed God's call on his life. When we see this, we see stories like this. And we know that God has called us to do great things and called us as a nation out as a special purpose, as a redeeming quality in the world. We were a light. We were a city on the hill, as Matthew is read in the book of Matthew. But we don't see that much anymore. We have a lot of infighting now. We have gone to this tribalism mentality and that's not necessarily a good thing. These people that fought in this battle was of one mind, of one accord. They knew for certain that they could literally say, give me liberty or give me death. We'll return here in a moment with a great interview. And I hope you stick around and hear more stories like this and stories from all of our people that we have on. This is the Liberty's Tree Society Program. here with the Liberty Tree Society program with your host Phil Arlinghouse and um, I've got a great guest here today and I'm excited for you all to hear her and you know you if you listen to our sister station Joy 620 you can hear her every Monday on the Bob Bell show and uh, Friday on their own show uh, and she can talk a little bit about that but uh, Jenny has become a really good friend over the years uh, and She's just an encouragement with the story she 
she tells and the stories she uh, hears uh, from her guest. And uh, that's that's one of my points in my life is to to hear stories and to in, in moments when I'm not feeling the best or, or the greatest, I pull faith from other people's faith. Mm, and I like uh, that because i and 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 i believe faith is one of my spiritual gifts but uh because i have faith for any situation that that seems impossible but there are moments when i do think we all get down and depressed and and whatever and i have to look for uh something to hold on to and yes i look to god but it's one of those things that i need something like hearing a story of a friend that did something that was beyond them that it's only god that could do that mm. to help me get out of those stories and i think uh jenny uh does that very well and um so she has a show called crossroads with jenny bushcal on fridays and it's on podcasts and different things uh but she just she has a great way of talking to people and getting their stories out and uh and i think they're great stories uh for our time and for uh, everybody to hear so they're, they're just from all walks of life and different things so uh welcome on to my show jenny well thank you phil and thank you for those nice words and i consider you a very good friend and we've had lots of times that we've just sat and talked and told stories and it's always been one of the ways that we can look at what god's doing his faithfulness mm-hmm. and realize wow that was a god thing not yeah, a coincidence. Oh yeah. That's a God incident. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, even the crossroads, even the mm-hmm. name, it started out talking recovery with Dr. Gil Smith and John Gargas, and they both were called into different areas. And then it became Let's Talk Recovery. And a couple of years ago, I was feeling like God wanted to move me in a little bit of different direction. Mm-hmm. The recovery stories are still a big part of what I do because as my friends say, everybody's recovering from something, and that mm-hmm. I agree with. But when I – this is one of my stories. I went out one morning to do a devotion. I sat outside, and I was doing my usual – I had my Bible out in my book, and I decided that I needed to go inside and get a different devotional. I went in, and I picked up one of Charles Stanley's, went back out – kind of thumbed through it, opened it to an August date, and it was called Crossroads. And it had a little bit of information in it, a story maybe. I can't remember. But I thought, Crossroads, Lord, that's maybe that's what I need to do. Talk about times when people come to a place, they have to make a decision. It may be a decision about a job. It could be a decision about moving. Or it could be a decision about whether or not to give your life to Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. And while I was sitting there praying, just listening to what the Lord had to say, my phone rang. And it was one of my small group friends. And she said, I've got something I want to talk to you about. I don't know if this is for you or for me. But I'm looking at a picture when we were in Nicaragua. And we were in an upper room looking down over a cross road. And she said, for some reason, this picture made me think of you. And I just think I'm supposed to call you and tell you about 
the crossroad. And immediately I really got very mm-hmm. emotional and said, I think the Lord wants me to change this to crossroads. And of course it segued from there as John Adams at the time was the general manager wanted to add my name onto it. And it really is a good place to think about the things that mm-hmm. we have been through and what happened at those crossroads and where did you see God there? Mm-hmm. And, uh, your, your show is an encouragement to me. I have opportunity to produce some of them, and uh, I did that a few years ago, and then now that I'm back and doing that again, and just hearing the stories of these people, the, the crossroads moments is a always a crucial part in our lives, and, and I don't think, and some of your stories talk about multiple crossroads and to get to the place they are now, and uh it's always amazing to see these stories and you know i'm encouraged when i hear them i'm i you're one of the few shows that i get emotional at too because some of the stories are heart-wrenching and and in the lows of the lows and then now they're at these points of of great high pinnacles and i think we we all want stories and i think that's something in my generation they want stories to know that you're authentic and you find some of the most uh, authentic people I, I, I've met. And they're, they're all different angles and walks of life. Or they're, they're, there may be someone in recovery. Or they may be a director of a program. Or, and they all have different angles. And it's one thing when uh, I worked for a, uh, a Christian discipleship rehab program. And they... Uh, I looked at it as I can't really help these people because I'm not addicted to a drug. And uh, my cousin, who's the director of it, told me that it's not the vice that makes it the the problem. It's that there's a problem being addicted to something. And so he's like, I know you have struggles in your own life. So you need to shift your mindset from I'm not a drug addict to I'm, you know, I'm, I'm still a sinner and struggling with things. So, uh, it, it's great to hear stories from all angles. And that's something that I think you do well on your show. Well, thank you. And I think God gives me a lot of people. He brings us to a path that we cross. And I, many times I believe that they were definitely predestined times that it was God incidences that uh, we knew that he well we still know we know Mm -hmm. that he orders our steps Mm -hmm. and so I do think that many times I can look and go oh my gosh God is so good he just did that and there are times that I would say I don't know who I've got on this week but I'm confident of this that God Mm -hmm. does and it will be someone that he wants on the show Mm -hmm. and I talk to him about it I don't I don't proceed to do anything to fill a slot i really want to know whose story does god want us to hear and i love the miracle stories in it but i like what you just said too, phil because so many times we look at somebody that may be an addict and we don't see the person we see the bad habit and Mm -hmm. then they've probably been defined by that bad habit Mm -hmm. and as you and I have talked about before, when you start hearing this over and over again, that's who you start believing you are. Mm-hmm. And there's some fantastic songs that I've listened to over the years where writers of songs have addressed these sort of things because we get caught up in what we 
think or perceive somebody to be, and that's not who they are. And we forget that maybe they belong to, uh, there might be a mom, a daughter, a sister, a, a friend, of course. And those are the kind of things that I learned through doing recovery ministry, that most of the time behind every really sad situation, there is a really terrible thing that's happened. There's been some sort of trauma or another huge obstacle that they've had to overcome. And we have to look at the other person. It's like that old saying, feel about what you haven't walked in their shoes, that kind of thing. Yeah, and it's it's amazing to see. um, I'm a history nerd, so I like history. And so I read a lot of stories of our founding fathers and things like that. And then it's always amazing to hear a kind of modern day stories that are very similar to those stories. And, um, you know, and so I don't uh, I don't perceive to know everything or where everyone's walk of life is. But uh, I, I, I very much am appreciative to hear stories from different perspectives. So. Uh, in the first segment, I talk about George Washington in a battle, and he had um, he had been shot, but he didn't know he was shot because the Lord protected him in that battle. And then the Indian chief comes later and tells him that I was the Indian chief in that battle, and we were trying to take you down, but I knew something greater than you were protecting you and greater than us was protecting you. And... Uh, one of the great things is we've had a conversation about a friend of yours in a, in a kind of similar situation. And it was the, a divine moment of the Lord that protected them. Mm-hmm. Yes. I had a story that I had shared with Phil and have shared this over the years that there was a pastor who was a missionary and he was in Mexico where of course, you know, there's drug cartel and they didn't really want him converting people to Christianity because they either worked with him or of course they were using. And he was confronted one night by a group of these thugs and they had come to actually kill him. And so they were standing there kind of staring at him. And all of a sudden, he saw them say something to each other and turn around and walk away. And there was nothing. It was just turned around, walked away. And a few months or at some time had passed, one of these gangster men had come into the church he was in. And he remembered and he felt overwhelmed and a little he felt that spirit you know how you feel something maybe is not right Mm -hmm. and you don't know exactly who this person is and how did you get in here and he came up to him and looked at him and said I know Jesus and he began to have a conversation with him and it turned out that this man who had been one of these people there in that street that night had at some point given his life to Jesus. And he said, I came to kill you that night. And the pastor said, why didn't you kill me? And he said, because of all that army, those big men that were with you. And he was by himself, not Mm -hmm. really, but he was in the flesh by himself. And there may have been somebody else standing there with him, but there certainly wasn't an army. And we know that there's spiritual warfare and the the fact that this guy mm-hmm. says he saw an army there, those big men, made me, of course, realize that that was angel armies that were protecting him. Yeah, and I, I see 
and that's what I try and do is connect stories from the past to stories of, of the present to uh, confirm things. I think that's an important thing is to have confirming stories. And so there's one of General Washington back in the founding of our nation's time. And then here's one more, more recently, a few years ago. And it's just uh, stories have a way to mold our lives in, in, in good and bad. And I think telling those stories is what uh, can mold it for the good. And so I always look for stories from people. I want to know people's stories. I want to know the why behind why someone's doing it. The uh, I want to know that that they're not making a decision in a vacuum. It's based because they're making this decision based on past experiences and we can work through that and we can grow and we can find that's where I find the common ground mm-hmm. in the in their stories. Mm-hmm. And so because we may be we may look different, we may talk different, we may in in a lot of ways believe different things, but in stories we can have that common ground of of whatever. It could be could be childhood things or you know, we could we could be completely different opposite ways of life, but there's the one thing that connects us like a friend of mine who is a black man and uh we we are opposite ends on different things i i grew up in the south he grew up in the north in the city things like that and then he um has a um but what connects us is both of us grew up in a in church that that and that connects us even though everything else of the outside thing of church is different and different experiences and even the experiences in the church were different because there were two different types of churches but it, it it's one of those things that it connects us because i believe that's what stories connect us and um you know sometimes it's it's uh they're related but they're not the, you know we talk about narrative on the news narrative divides us but stories connects us so when you get to the actual story of what happened uh and and everything else is stripped away, then you can be connected in the communities. And I think that's something we have to get back to. And some of that is, uh, you know, just part of the reason why I appreciate your show and you bringing stories on and uh, different people from all different walks of life, from addicts to uh, multi-millionaires on your shows to talk about what God is doing in their life and how they've changed and talking about going out and sharing Jesus with people and just some crazy stories have come out of the, the people that you've talked that you would never expect that they would have those stories. I agree. And I'm writing them down. I was told I need to write these stories a while back because you forget. And those it's so important to remember, to connect things and to see God's faithfulness. You can look back at it. That's always the way to see it. But I totally agree with you about the fact that when it comes down to it, we're still so much alike, even though circumstances, growing up, whatever, are so different. I did a lot of ministry. I went to one of the detention centers with a friend who had also been in jail. And he and I did years of driving up on Monday night to go to talk to people that were in detention center and the the irony of how God brought us together we would never have ever probably crossed paths but because we were in recovery and we were talking and 
decided that our calling on our life at that time was to go do that kind of ministry, and we began to do that together. And we still have a great bond with that. He has been on my show to tell his story, and you know, a lot of things happen in his family, things that we're seeing on the news, uh, uh, these deaths that are so irresponsible these things that have happened in people's lives and he even had a sister-in-law murder one of his brothers so it is really hard to imagine the things that people go through but what I love is that God connects us in a way Mm -hmm. that is we can't explain but you have such love for someone yeah and that's that's uh that's a very important thing that that connects us that draws us together and that that's one thing someone can't take away from us is our own story. So um, and it may be different. It may be hard for people to understand. But I think that's that's an important point. And I want I want people to understand that that's how I was raised was to hear people on people's stories and and to grow and 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 learn from other people's things. We have um, opportunities to know those things. But it's been great having you on the show, Jenny. Thank you. And hearing some of your story and some of the stories you've, you've known and, and how that, that can grow. And, and so I appreciate you being on here. And we'll be right back after this brief message with the Liberty Tree Society and me, Phil Ivins. And we're back here on the Liberty Tree Society. I'd like to thank Jenny for coming on and sharing some of her stories and and the need for stories. And, you know, as we were talking about, and I just always remind myself, what is the actual story? That's the thing. What is the story of the people that's involved? What is the story going on in this thing? Instead of just listening to what the news say or whatever. That's my point, is to listen to the story, not the narrative. When you get narrative involved, that's when we have issues. And we can't let that happen. We have to understand that the narrative is what the news media pushes. Now, I understand that there'll be people who say that I push a narrative, that I'm pushing a narrative instead of stories. And I'm like, okay, fine, you can say that. I don't want to be that person. I don't want to be pushing a narrative just because that's the popular thing or or that's the conservative thing or that's the liberal viewpoint or whatever. I want to be known as someone who tells you the story and just to go on from that and just how do I see it? You know, um, so what does that mean on a... Um, 
on this stuff. So instead of going forward and just producing a uh, story or a narrative or 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 even a a traditional talk show, I, I want I want to have conversations. I want to have discourse. I want to invite people on. I've got other people lined up to to be voices into this this system, but. We got to understand that we can't just let the narrative control us. We hear a lot about things controlling our our uh, our stories, our our things, the the algorithms on Facebook and Instagram and TikTok and Twitter and all this stuff controlling what we see and what we don't see and shadow banning and stuff. That's all part of the narrative. That's all part of the agenda. And you can say, oh, I'm a conspiracy theorist by saying all that. And I'm like, no. I mean, it's true. I mean, if you just look at business, I mean, I've taken enough business and marketing classes for, for my jobs to understand that, yes, there literally is an algorithm that you need to understand keywords and tags and different things like that in order for your product or your your story or your podcast or your radio show to be put out in a certain way and you've got to work the system so to speak and that's what that's what those algorithms are there for to be there but unfortunately they've been weaponized to force a narrative and we need to work to overcome that and to be uh, available and 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 realize that, and not that everything you see is true, on um, on any side of any story, you know. Unless you know for certain something going on. I I recently had a conversation, and uh, about something, and you know, even though I I knew from a different perspective. Uh, about a ministry this other person had another ministry a, a story about a ministry and I had a little different perspective due to my involvement with some of the ministry stuff and and so it was just a thing of hey let's refocus this and I'm not trying to say what you're saying is wrong that that didn't happen or that wouldn't have happened or whatever but maybe maybe there's some misplaced ideas or on on both sides so we were just having a conversation to walk through that and i took the person as telling me the story as credible because it was something that was happening with them whereas if i hear of a story about a friend of mine on the news it might not be 100 percent accurate because i have some friends who are being attacked because of positions they are taking as pastors of a church here locally in the Knoxville area, and I'm hoping to have them on uh, soon on the show. But if I listen to the news narrative of the story they did, it was an attack piece. But I may come away thinking, oh, man, that guy is terrible. I can't believe he calls himself a pastor. But I, I know this guy personally, and I know what they've said on CBS and Vice Media and all this stuff is not true. Yes, he's taking a stand. Yes, it's in a, a lot of ways political because we need to be fighting in that arena. As Christians, we should be stepping up and fighting in that arena. If we don't and we abdicate that to Satan, what are we going to do? 
we're going to have to run and tuck our heads and hide. I mean, we see this in, in other countries that no longer or have never been a Christian nation. There's a lack of freedom, not just for Christians, but for everybody. There's a lack of freedom for women. There's a lack of freedom for children. There's a lack of freedom for other religions. I mean, in America, we have freedom of religion, which means you can freely worship whoever and whatever you want to. Doesn't necessarily mean that our laws and our systems are not set up on a Christian, uh, a Judeo Christian value system. But it's just that you're free to be Muslim, you're free to be atheist, you're free to be Hindu, you're free to be Buddhist, whatever. In other countries, if you're not Muslim, then you know you could be thrown in jail, you could be killed for that, and that's part of their law system, which I don't think is right. Now, if they want their national religion to be Islam, fine. That's their choice in their country. I don't agree with it. But they shouldn't be forcing people to be part of that religion just because that's the official religion of that country or that's the idea uh, of the perfect person as being a Muslim. You know, I don't agree with that. Like we're seeing that in Iran where they're very much Islam is is the right way and it's a form of government and it's a form of religion. And a lot of the people are negative toward that, but... We really have to uh, assess that and get over that and, 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 and see that in America, you know, we, we have people here who are Muslim and, and that's cool uh, to, to the extent that, yes, we have religious freedom and they're welcome to worship Allah the way they see fit in that. But we don't need to override the fact that that doesn't mean that I'm forcing my religion on you because I'm Christian as I'm standing up in the public square and going, hey, I disagree with abortion or I disagree with the LGBTQ alphabet soup agenda that's going on and saying, hey, I want to protect children by not allowing teachers to talk to my little child my kindergartner about being gay and that it's okay to be gay. They're five, maybe six years old. And you think that's an appropriate conversation to have with a kindergartner that, oh, it's okay for you to be gay. You can like boys if you're a boy and you can like girls if you're a girl. Oh, you feel like a girl. So, and you're a boy. So that means you're a girl trapped in a boy's body and you need to, come out as transgender and and live that life that's not the proper thing that's a narrative being forced on someone it's not their story i mean it's 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 insane to hear narratives being forced on everybody whether it's little children's in school or it's pastors from pulpit especially when they take a stand or it's I mean, it's just, it's insane. And I'm sure that there's going to be people that say, I'm pushing a narrative instead of a story. Or that I'm pushing uh, my opinion on someone. And I'm like, I'm not trying to. I'm just saying, looking at facts and going, I don't 
think that you're saying that right. I don't think it's right that to say X, Y, or Z, you're trying to say that, you know, we have a a uh, family-friendly show, which is a narrative of a drag queen uh, story hour or a drag queen Christmas, as we had recently, um, and it be a, oh, that's, that's family-friendly, because that's a narrative on that. That's not a family-friendly show, especially when you know what's going on and know that there's been, there was sexual acts performed even artificially on stage or there was uh essentially nudity on stage because there was uh half-dressed people with fake boobs and things like that on stage you can't you can't get away with that and think that that's okay i mean it it's crazy to think that a narrative of saying something like that is family friendly I mean, but the agenda, one of the agenda of Satan is to destroy the family. Because the family is a foundational building block of all society. God created that from the beginning. He created man and woman, and then he commanded them to be fruitful and multiply. That's family. That's family-oriented. Now, our narrative now is that things are family friendly even when they're not because they want to divide the family and divide things up but we have to come to understandment understanding that we need to be careful when we listen to that narrative we need to be careful listening to all the stories out there because not all stories are profitable not all stories are good and sometimes i listen to stories a lot and it pains me to hear these stories my family and I do foster care, and sometimes to hear the stories of these kids who are in foster care, whether they're told by what uh, by the caseworkers telling us this when they they're saying, "Hey, this is what this kid is struggling with." To to they, well, they may not be one hundred percent because they only know certain things as caseworkers. But then you sit there and you listen to the 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 kid. And you find out more and you realize, oh, wow, I can't believe that you've had to go through that in your young life. And that they're, they go through a lot. And, and it's a painful story. And I wouldn't want everyone to hear that story. And I'm not going to share those stories. And I don't want, and I don't think they're appropriate stories for like my three-year-old to hear. At least not at this point in her life. But we also got to understand that we can't just sit back and let narratives dictate our stories, our lives, or anything. We have to understand that narrative is the enemy of truth. We have to go forth and listen to the stories and understand what's going on. As we get ready to close out this segment, and then we'll have one more segment. I just that's just something I want to leave you with is that narrative is an enemy of the truth, and we have to be forthcoming and everything with it. That we we need to understand that there's nothing that we we can't find out in a true story, not a narrative. 
The narrative is pushed upon this by those who seem to be in control. News narrative, social media, um, news networks, social media, uh, any any of these organizations that seem to be, you know, pushing this agenda, and and, and they're pushing hard because we're we're getting too close. You know, some people said we're. You know, the end times, we're in the last days. Yeah, probably. And we're getting close, and it's going to be ramped up and be harder. But we cannot give up on just hearing our narrative and just being part of the system. And we need to um, be prepared to understand that we um, we need to weed out the truth, and that, that's one of the ideas with this show, and, and we're laying a foundation, so so bear with me. Uh, a couple weeks, we'll probably be uh, more foundational the first couple weeks, and then we'll move into the actual more interviews with people, more talks, more things like that, so we can have more meat, but there's a few foundational points that I'd like to get apart, and the first one is... Uh, Narrative is not truth, but there are stories we need to hear, and we can learn and grow from those stories. And So this is the Liberty Tree Society program with Phil Arlinghouse here on Talk Radio 92.3 and AM 760. We'll be back in a moment. here in the last segment and we we reflect over what has been said and what can be said and 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 how do we move forward with some of these things and 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 our biggest things is is we need to look and and be uh firm in our faith and our convictions you know it's it's tough to go out and say things that may not be popular because it is a radical idea. But it may be more dangerous to go out and say the simple truths that we all know to be true, that, that, that has been confirmed by science, by just life, and, and yet we have these things where we don't know how to, to do this. And, and so... Like in my f- first segment, when I shared that story of, of George Washington when he was in the battle in the French and Indian Wars, and um, one of the things that stick out to me that resonate is that all that helped confirm in him that he was on the right path from God, that he had protection from God because he was set for such a purpose that he hadn't accomplished yet. 
Now, I'm not saying that we're not going to be targets. I, I, I do believe if you are working on your path that God's laid out for you, then you're going to be attacked. I mean, it's clearly obvious that they were keeping shooting at him, and they couldn't bring him down. And at a certain point, they realized that it was futile. And so they had to back away. You know, he, he fought in those wars, the French and Indian Wars, and he fought in the Revolutionary War, and then he fought in wars in Congress and with the founding government. But, you know, the whole time he pushed forward to what was best. And that is something that we need to learn and we need to move forward with that. How, how do we go about being the best? It's not about being perfect. It's not about being right all the time. But it is about doing our best. And sometimes we might have to apologize for that because we may not be doing something right. We may not be doing something you know, even to an excellent level. But we have to look and see what we need to do in order to continue down that path with with God. I find it amazing that at the time there were certain letters from uh, a senator, John Quincy Adams, so the son of John Adams, later became president himself, uh, said, thanks to the constitutional ma- uh, mandate of Article 1, Section 5, Paragraph 3, every debate and every vote that took had taken place in Congress from 1774 to the present is recorded in public records. As a result of this mandate, the American people are able to read exactly what happened when Congress first moved into Capitol On December 4, 1800, just a few weeks after moving into the building, Congress decided that this capital would also serve as a church building. This fact is is not only recorded in the annals of Congress, but also confirmed in the journal of various representatives and senators during that time. Uh, For example, John Quincy Adams, uh, senator at the time, October 30th, 1803, attended a public service at the Capitol where Mr. Ratoon, an Episcopalian clergyman from Baltimore, preached a sermon. Just a week earlier, he written, religious service is usually performed on Sundays at the Treasury office and at the Capitol. I went both forenoon and afternoon to the Treasury. Thus began the long-standing and congressionally sanctioned practice of using government buildings as house of worships. You know, from the beginning, our founders put forth God. And it's clearly seen at this and uh, with, with George Washington offered a great prayer at the time. But, you know, as we close here, we got to remember that. We got to put God first, just like our founders did, just like so many other people did. And I'll talk to you next week. I'm Phil Arlinghouse, and this is the Liberty Tree Society Program. I thank you for gathering around this old tree. New ideas, old ideas but faithful and patriotic ideas. This is the Liberty Tree Society.